Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, I, I, was, I was thinking when the first time I came here it was about 22 years ago, so I think I've spoken about once every three years. Uh, so some familiar faces here, but uh, mostly new faces. So I'm going to show some pictures by means of introduction so that you know where I'm coming from this morning before we look at the scriptures. So hopefully some pictures coming up. That's where I spent 20 years of my life. So became Burundian. Um, our family, five of us, we're five, only about 10 white Burundians in the world. So I really identified with that place. Thought I'd die there. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. Very intense, very different from uh, Reading life. Next one. That is it in close-up. So, Bujumbura. Anyone, anyone get that? That's the language you speak out. The size of Wales, not a big place. Uh, lots of war has been in the mix. Next one. And that's our charity, Transforming Burundi and Beyond. Keep going. Uh, so, yeah. So, lots of really heavy stuff. Um, when I went out there in 1998-9, it was the most dangerous country in the world. So, I remember preaching here in the evening, actually, one one time when I first came back, my mum came. We, we, were, we lived in Burnham Beaches, and uh, she, she wept as she listened to me because I identified it as there being home for the first time. She's like, oh, I've lost my son, but she blessed me fully in going out there. And it, yeah, I genuinely thought I'd die out there. So the fact that we're still around just means there's more work to be done. And uh, yeah, still very passionate about it. Next one. Uh, so I've got a few, few books back afterwards. It's basically my DNA. You'll, you'll hear it through, this, through the sermons. you look at the scriptures. But how far is too far when Jesus on the cross went that far? And he didn't go that far for us on the cross just to be nice people in Reading. It's so much more than that. And I hope if you, if you sort of resonate with that, do come and grab that afterwards. Next one. Um, that is a daily devotional. So that's, that's Choose Life. And it's basically looking at how we're going to live. Are we going to live by faith or by fear? Are we going to choose urgency or apathy? Are we going to choose cynicism or action? Are we going to choose law or grace? The list goes on. Foundational choices about how we're going to live our lives. Next one. So that's, our, that's my team. So during lockdown, it was pretty good, wasn't it? So every uh, weekend, we had a sort of different theme night. That was, uh, what was that? Star Wars, I think. No. Um, <laughs> Next one, uh, look at my girl, my daughter there, is named after this girl. I've told this story before, but there's always a twist to it, and there's a new twist on this one. And I never get tired of telling the story, because it's so beautiful. And this girl, I held her in 1997. What were you doing in 1997? I held her in my arms, and I heard her story. And her story was that she started life down a toilet. So her mum gave birth to her, dumped her down the toilet, and did a runner. And the next person at the university, hospital toilet, saw this piece of flesh. You know, she's about to go to the loo, and she saw this piece of flesh down the toilet. She reached down, pulled out this piece of flesh. She was still alive. She was still alive because her neck had got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And uh, they cleaned her off, got poo on themselves in the process, fed her through a straw like a little bird. She weighed just a couple of pounds. And next one, look at her, beautiful young lady. Next one, stunning, isn't she? Next one, as God wove the tapestry of our lives, having held her as a baby, she ended up being our babysitter. Now, why am I telling that story? My, my, when I got married to Lizzie, uh, I said to her, if we're ever blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So little white one's named after a big black one. And, and the reason is that my friend who adopted her, who rescued her, gave her the name Grace. 
And I love grace as a name. And I want my daughter to always know what grace means. And grace means basically the start of that girl's life, which is that we're all metaphorically down a pit. We're separated from God in his perfection. And, and that little piece of flesh could never possibly crawl out by herself. No, help had to come from outside. And that's the Easter resurrection hope that we've got, that Jesus is, is the incarnation. God, God made flesh. God with flesh on, and he comes down, and he reaches down, and he picks us up, and he cleans us off, and takes up on him, so that we can be clean, and pure, and acceptable, and beautiful, and he can look at each one of us this morning, despite our mess, and say, I love you, my daughter, my son, made in my image, of infinite worth, grace, undeserved, but to be received, and that is the heart of the Easter message. And, and some of us, we need to hear that because some of us, we're still stuck in religion. And religions and all the religions of the world, in a sense, are basically, we're down that pit, separated from God. But if we do enough good works, we can get up there by ourselves. You cannot. You've just got to receive. And what I love about Grace's story, next one, is that we get her a scholarship to the promised land, America. She gets a distinction in her degree. Next one, she comes back to work for us in social media back in Burundi, having held this little girl as a baby, having started her life down the toilet. Next one, she ends up just in, in, in January, starting at the University of Newcastle doing her master's in counseling. I mean, from the pit of the toilet, that is extraordinary, isn't it? And I've got loads of those stories. Uh, next one. We're the hungriest country in the world. Uh, highest rate of malnutrition. You, you, you can't really get 56% malnourishment, but this helps flesh it out because that's my Canadian friend's four-year-old daughter, Alma, on one side. She's four years old. The girl in the middle, she's four years old. Or she was four years old. And she's probably dead. Or if she's not dead, she's got <sighs> brain stunting through malnutrition. And I, I don't know how that makes you feel. That makes me feel angry. And that makes me feel really sad. And that's compassion it's to suffer with. And we are called to be people that get angry about things that are wrong. To be God's redemptive agents of change here in Reading or wherever he's called us. And, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry and don't sin. And we're called to suffer with, to come alongside. And so that's been my journey out there. And uh, I, I didn't, yeah, what does that look like for you? Um, I'm going to stop there. I had, I had plenty more pictures. Uh, can you just go all the way through to the, um, the, the details? Listen, um, this afternoon's presentation, I mean, I, the, the idea is, is, is that um, it's not, presentation sounds really boring. I, by the way, I'm not here after your money. Uh, you've got your own mission partners. And I'm not on a recruiting drive for you to come out to Burundi. But um, I just want to stir faith. And I'm going to tell stories this afternoon of blind people seeing, of cripples walking, of demons being cast out, which are slightly different from our Reading Christianity. But hopefully it will blow our minds in terms of how big God is. And so you've got friends in other churches. Can you bring them along? That's, that's the only agenda. It's a stir faith. That's what I want to do. Um, so, you know, the sorts of stories is each summer we sent out 700 evangelists. Uh, and they do. They cast out demons and heal the sick and get beaten up. We've seen through that movement, doing that for 15 years, we've seen 170,000 people come to Jesus. And so many nuts stories, you know, of a, of a witch doctor, you know, starting doing his jujus as, as our team shows up and, and to make some money. And, and then they say, in Jesus' name, and he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later. You go to that, Ellie, do you want to go to that, that picture of actually burning the fire, burning his chance publicly? So this is the witch doctor. He says, come back in two days. Uh, sorry, the one, there's another one on fire, burning chums stuff. Uh, and, and so the witch doctor, he's slain in the spirit, comes to, says, come back in a couple of days. And, uh, and they, so they came back a few days later. And, and at the, this is it. At the preaching of the gospel, 
And him, as a senior spiritual power in that area, burning his chance, publicly submitting to the highest power, he and 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. I've got loads of those stories, and uh, I'd love you to come along, four o'clock this afternoon, so, so do do that. And then the last one is just, uh, do you want to put the uh, Inspired podcast on? If you, we have so many bad stories going on in our lives, and I love this, just once a week, I'm just getting incredible people of faith to stir faith. So if you want to sign up for a podcast, it's good news. I think we watch way too much news, period. I suggest you watch two, news, two minutes of news a day, that's all you need, because all it's doing is sowing fear. And, and, and discontent and, and grimness and depression. So it's good to know what's going on in, in, in the world to pray for it, but let's not dwell on the news. And it's good to get good news and, uh, of, of stirring faith. That's what that's about. Now, if you've got your Bibles, can you get them out? And we are culminating your series now. This is the last in your series, your Lenten series on the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon of the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 to 7. It's a teaching block, if you like. And uh, I just want to ask you a question. Is your life built on rock? Is your life built on rock? I'm going to repeat that question. And some of us might realize, mm, I'm not sure, I've got slightly shaky foundations here. But the context of the sermon, therefore, is Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And so, and, and it says, therefore, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears, therefore, is basically because of the teaching of chapters 5 to 7. Oh, sorry, I've got to say, do you want to grab those green things? Uh, can you grab that next to you now, that green thing? Um, and basically, I would love you, if you want to hear these crazy stories of faith, can you turn it on, 535353? Um, so these, these, these things are going to start weaving their way back now. If you receive it, you don't have to put your email down on it. But if you do, you'll get these nuts stories of faith. And you can pray for us. I'm still alive because people pray, basically. Once I drove along a road, 40 people got killed, and I got through. I don't think I'm any better than anyone else, but more prayed for. And the guys in Burundi say, please can you get people to pray. So you can be part of our journey in terms of praying. So don't, don't sign up if you've already got too many emails. But if you do want to, brilliant. Otherwise, just pass it on. So the context... Back to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, the context of the sermon, it, well, being built on the rock will involve being salt and light from chapter 5. Of giving generously to the needy. Of praying and fasting before God and not before men. Of having purity of heart and mind with regards to sexual relationships or, or dealing with anger. Of being a person of your word. Of loving your enemies. Whew, I've got loads of stories on that in Burundi. How do these people forgive someone who's raped their wife and, and, and hacked their kids to death? Or storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. That is having your life built on a rock. Of not worrying, but really, really trusting. Of seeking, was it last week you had seeking first his kingdom, of not judging others, of asking, of seeking, of knocking persistently, of entering through the, the narrow gate, not the, the broad gate, of, of producing fruit, good, good fruit as of a good tree, of being a wise builder. That's all that we've had in chapter 7. Therefore, verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And you know what? I know this isn't uh, David's heart and leadership's heart here, but many of us, we've been educated way beyond the level uh, of our obedience. And there's loads of Western Christendom. It's, it's quite cerebral. And so we're quite into being biblically literate, but not so much into being biblically obedient. And some of us really need to hear that. And so verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice. Please, may we be a people that put them into practice, therefore being wise, therefore building a house on rock, not being impractical people, where it's in one ear, out the other, or just accumulation of knowledge, which is essentially building on the sand. 
And so whether it's on the rock or the sand, verse 25 and 27 is the same. The rain came down, the rains came down, and the floods came up. We all had that as children, didn't we? So the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat and blew against that house. And listen, those are... They, they, we're having trials, if you like, and challenges from every chaffing angle, aren't we? It's not easy. So you've got, you've got uh, trials from above, the rain, you've got from below, the streams rising, and you've got from the sides, the winds blowing and beating against the house. Obviously, I've, extreme that, I've experienced that in extreme in Burundi, which is the hungriest, the poorest, the most dangerous, all those things. Literally, the World Bank last month said we are the poorest country in the world again. But I think of one man out there, and he, my friend, the same one actually who adopted Grace, she was in a, a refugee camp. She saw an old man there. And he uh, was in his rags, and he just had an empty bowl, and he was praying, and she just looked a bit incongruous. So she went over and sat next to him. She, she said, what's your story, old man? And this old man told her how he'd, he'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death. And he was in his 80s, and he'd walked six days to get to that camp. His house had been burnt down. He had lost everything. And in a, at the end, that's a horrific story. He turned to her and he said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. I mean, that's a house built on the rock. Because, and I come back here. I mean, I was there just a couple of weeks ago. Get on a plane, come back here. I feel like we're on another planet. But we're, I'm surrounded by people who seemingly we've got everything to live with and nothing to live for. Or if not us, a lot of the people around us are living that way. And so we've had a really tough few years, haven't we? Haven't we? We've had those <laughs> every angle. We've had, we've had, you know, sucker punches from COVID. We've had economic worries. What else? We've, we've had, you know, those different punches for us in a room this size. It, it might be through uh, a painful divorce or, or losing your job or, or an inability to get pregnant or a disillusioning church experience or a cancer diagnosis or losing a, a close family member or friend or a shattered dream or a wayward child or a car accident or, or a deep desire to get married that remains unfulfilled or a dryness or loss of joy in your relationship with God. There are all sorts of ways that it might happen. And verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a crash. And we've seen loads of crashes. Loads of our friends that pre-COVID might have been here are no longer here. They've checked out through getting those sucker punches. And, and we're, we're not judging them at all. It's just, it's been a tough season, hasn't it? And what those storms do is that they highlight what our foundations are. Is your life built on the rock? Not on feelings. Feelings a very bad yardstick or foundation to base our lives on. Samuel Rutherford said, believe God's word and power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences. Your rock is Christ, and it is not the rock which ebbs and flows, but your sea. I love uh, heroes of the faith that lay down their life for Christ. And uh, listen to this, St. Chrysostom, 5th century. This is AD 407 when he was martyred. He said, the waters are raging and the winds are blowing, but I have no fear for I stand firmly upon the rock. What am I to fear? Is it death? Life to me means Christ and death is gain. 
sort of quoting Philippians 1, 21 there. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I thought I'd die for this. I was ready to die for this. This is worth living and dying for. I'm with him. Is it exile? Shall I fear exile, he says? The earth and everything it holds belongs to the Lord. Is it loss of property? I brought nothing into this world and I will bring nothing out of it. I have only contempt for the world and its ways and I scorn its honors. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, for its foundations were upon the rock. He had his foundations on the rock. Brothers and sisters, the thing is, we think sometimes we can fake it, but you cannot ultimately fake good foundations. And I would have a a mixture that probably many of you would share, a mixture of angerness, of anger and sadness and disillusionment at a whole, an endless list of high-profile Christian leaders throughout the world that, that crash and burning spectacularly. And it grieves me deeply, and it happens constantly. There's new news all the time. But you see, whether you built your life on metaphorical rock or sand will sooner or later, sometimes later, Ravi Zacharias, that was later, it came to light. And the foundation's fragility or solidity is a reality, whatever the outward appearance. Yeah, you all go on holiday, you build a sandcastle. It's so easy to build a sandcastle, but the next tide coming in, it goes, it disappears. When I lie in bed in Burundi, and we we have the rainy season, we have unbelievable torrential downpours. And it's so nice to be lying in your bed at night when your house is built on the rock. But as I lie there, I know that plenty of my colleagues live in mud brick houses and I know in the morning after one of these massive storms that some some are going to come knocking saying our house fell down during the night we live just up the road from us there's a five-story building and it's the anti-corruption office and they built it and it fell down literally a five-story building like an enacted parable of the state of the nation because if you don't have decent cement if you're cheating on that that's the expensive bit rather than the sand it will fall and uh, we've got to watch out, haven't we? They had cheated on the cement in that case. And, and you know, ha- have we cheated? Are we cheating ourselves and taking shortcuts with our integrity or in our viewing habits? Or are we ill-disciplined in, in affairs of the heart? Our spiritual apathy or disengagement or our, our lack of self-scrutiny in terms of spending patterns, our, our use of our time, our Uh, Our loose talking, our our, our viewing habits, our wandering eyes, jealousy, greed, laziness, vulgarity, pride, judgmentalism. (sighs) These challenging questions, aren't they? You're like, I thought we invited you to give us a nice cozy message. No, we we need the truth, don't we? And as Dallas Willard, he's one of my heroes, he so astutely pointed out, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. So in that sense, it's a bargain. Discipleship is a bargain. But you see, listen, non-discipleship, he says, costs abiding peace. It costs a life penetrated throughout by love. It costs faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. It costs hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short... Non-discipleship costs you exactly the abundance of life that Jesus promised and he came to give us. 
another one of my heroes is Eugene Peterson. And he, he pastored for 20 years in the suburbs. Listen to this. This is so challenging. And is this for some of us? I don't know. But he says, I was living in classic suburbia and not liking it very much. The people who gathered to worship God under my leadership were ruthless and cultureless. They were marginally Christian. They didn't read books. They didn't dis- discuss ideas. All spirits seemed to have leaked out of their lives and were replaced by a garage sale clutter of cliches and stereotypes, securities and fashions. Dostoevsky's sentence hit the target. The people seemed to live to to, to be watered down, darting and rushing around before us every day, but in a sort of a diluted state. No hard ideas to push against, no fiery spirit to excite, soggy suburbia. I had no idea that, this is him saying, I had no idea that an entire society could be shaped by the images of advertising. I had lived, it seems, a sheltered life. You know, the experiments of Pavlov accounted for the condition of these people Far better than anything in the four Gospels, they were conditioned to respond to the stimulus of a sales price, quite apart from need, as effectively as Pavlov's dogs were trained to salivate at the bell signal, quite apart from hunger. These are the people for whom I was praying and for whom I was writing, these spirits who had taken early retirement, whose minds had been checked out at the door, suburbia lobotomized spirituality. So I'm not giving a soft sell this morning, and, and Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, really wasn't a soft sell. If we're going to be building our house on the rock, you know, it's hard than building on the sand. It's way harder. It's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. I didn't see it on time to look whether you had a church sign outside uh, just, just here, but I, I like this one. You know, you, you have some pithy ones, you have some really lame ones, you have, you have some better ones, don't you? But, but I like this church sign. Welcome to our church where salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. That's a good one. You see, grace is not opposed to effort. That glorious grace being picked out of the toilet. It's beautiful. It's so energizing. It's so healthy. But it's not cheap grace. And grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We don't earn it, we just receive it. See, earning is an attitude, effort is an action. As Bonhoeffer, yesterday we celebrated uh, the death of, of Bonhoeffer, if you do Lexio 365, and a number of you do, and, uh, and Bonhoeffer, another one of my heroes who gave up his life in the pursuit of Christ. He said, Christianity without discipleship, without building your house on the rock, is always Christianity without Christ. Is your house built on the rock? Now, I could have brought it, but <clears throat> I didn't. You, some of you will know this, uh, this uh, illustration. And I want you to picture a mason jar. And uh, so, you know, this is a typical management uh, illustration. And uh, one day, this expert in time management, he got together a bunch of uh, young business leaders and he used this illustration. It's been repeated multiple times. So he, he, he got, got this mason jar. Let's picture it like that, a gallon. And he, he took a bunch of fist-sized rocks and he put them in the mason jar right up to the top. And he said to the, the, the guys watching, is it full? And they went, yes, it is. Well, then he got out from underneath. He got out some gravel. And around those gaps in the rocks, he poured that gravel in and sort of shook the mason jar and... Clearly, it wasn't full. And he said to them, now, now, now is it full? And they're sort of catching on. All right, maybe it's not full. He said, no, it's not full. You're right. And then he brought out a load of sand. 
And you put that sand in it, and, and in, in, even in between the cracks of the gravel, it shook it, and the sand filled. Is it full now? And they're like, all right, no, no, it's not. All right. And then he got out some water, a jug of water, and he started pouring it in until it was completely, uh, then it sort of was full. It was full to the brim. And, and he, said, he said, what's the lesson there? And one eager beaver raised his hand and said, the point is, no matter, no matter how full your schedule is, if you try a little bit harder, you can always fit something else in. And the guy's like, no, that's not the point. That's not the point. The, the point is, unless you first put the big rocks in, you won't get the rest in. You'll never get them all in. And what are the big rocks in your life? Is it time with loved ones? Is it your faith? Education, your dreams, a worthy cause, teaching or mentoring others. Think about it. What is discipleship? Well, ultimately, in terms of that illustration, I want to say that the big rock, the first rock, which is bigger than those fist-sized rocks even, it's a massive rock. You need to get Jesus in there. And everything else can fit around that. That's what last week, I think it was, Matthew 6, 33 in your series. Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the rest will get added as well. And Jesus looked at Simon, Peter, he renamed him Peter, Petros, French Pierre, Pierre literally means rock, Petros means rock. He said, Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. Actually, Jesus, he, Peter was a little rock, wasn't he? And, he's, and then in, in 1 Peter 2, he talks about us being a building, and we are living stones. So Peter was one of those stones, but, but he talks about the cornerstone. So the big rock to get in our mason jar, the rock upon which to build our lives, the cornerstone, the cornerstone which basically defines the building. You know, the first stone set in the construction of the masonry foundation was the cornerstone. As the first stone laid, it became the reference point for all other stones laid subsequent to it. So everything finds its definition alongside that piece. That's how you know it's straight and true. That's how you know that your life is on track. That's how you know if you are deviating from the original intent of the, of the structure. That cornerstone is Jesus. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, we need to live our lives very intentionally and very on purpose. And some of us, we're, we're very disciplined in, in our work context. We, 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 re, we give it everything, but we're so ill-disciplined with our discipleship. Some of us, were so disciplined in our commitment to our use of social media, but we're ill-disciplined in our discipleship. We can be reactive with our spiritual journey. And by the way, everything is spiritual. You want Jesus to suffuse everything as a, as a worldview. But if you wait to be acted upon, you will be acted upon. So we are responsible. We are responsible. Response able, ability to respond. We have the ability to respond. And so we need to live as disciples and live ready. And the tough times, if they haven't come yet, they are coming. We're living an incredible season right now, a, a, a time in the history of the world. And so, you know, the rains are coming, the, the streams are rising, the wind is beating against that house uh, from all sides. We, you, what have you got? You've got a sort of militant secularization of our culture. You've got aggressive and fiercely intolerant cultural Marxism. There's, there's cancel culture. There's, there's this consuming materialism. There's hate-filled social media or the most vapid, mindless escapism that, that is, is just taking out our hearts. We've got rising energy bills. We've got rising inflation that's going to really hit a lot of us extremely hard. You've got, these are real concerns. You've got 
Manipulation by fear. We've had two years of that under COVID. And I'm not saying COVID is not serious, but an army of behavioral psychologists by the government have been, have been employed to make us fearful in order to affect our behavior. And, and that is very hard to undo as our brains have been wired. That's why you've got to stop watching too much of the news. And, and we've got to feed faith. Our birthright as followers of Jesus is faith, not fear. There's a polarizing of perspectives. There's a loss of objective to, truth. There's, there's greed. There's corruption. There's a ero- massive one, erosion of, of, of freedoms of expression. There's loneliness, confusion, mental health, panic. There's so much, there's so much coming at us. And in calling those out, that could make us depressed. But no, let's not be depressed because we are an Easter people. And today is Palm Sunday. And so what, what was that crowd like? And this is interesting, isn't it? Because Palm Sunday, uh, if we were there, we would have been out there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we, beyond that, we've got the benefit of hindsight, don't we? And those guys, a few days before the crucifixion, didn't have a clue that Hosanna, Hosanna was one call. A few days later, it's Nimubambi, Nimubambi, crucify him, crucify him. So we are an Easter people. We've got the hope of the resurrection. So there is hope, and it's a living hope, and that completely drives me in my passionate pursuit of discipleship in Burundi. But there's a tension that we live under. That's the reality that almost we might want to bury our heads in the sand and avoid. This is uh, John Ortberg. He says, you never know what might happen on the third day. That's Easter Sunday. And I cling to that. I put all my hope in that, as I do too. I put all my hope in a third day God, but I live in a second day world. Do you hear what he's saying? It's Good Friday. Why is it called Good Friday? I'm not sure. You know, because it was a world full of darkness, wasn't it, when Jesus died? And there was seeming despair. But no we are an Easter people. We, we believe in that third day God. Yet right now, we're living in that second day world and we need to live awake, awake. John Eldridge says, we are at war. Now, I've lived in literal war, so I couldn't kid myself that it was peacetime. Our challenge in Reading, Berkshire, wherever, you, wherever you're coming from today, is that you could kid yourself as peace. But I see bombs falling all over your community. Distraction. Apathy. Materialism, relativism, it just goes on and on. And Eldred says, we are war and the bloody battle is over our hearts. He says, I'm astounded how few Christians see this, how little they protect their hearts. We act as though we live in a sleepy little town during peacetime. We don't. We live in the spiritual equivalent of Bosnia or Beirut or Burundi. Act like it. Watch over your heart. Don't just let anything in. Don't let it just go anywhere. What's this doing to my heart is a question that I ask in every situation. I mean, just in terms of what we watch on TV, I think if you, if you compare it to what you watched five, ten years ago, you'd be, you'd be horrified as what has become normal and acceptable. There's so much filth. We're drinking, in Jeremiah speak, from broken systems. I think, above all else... Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And Jesus is the living water. I did this uh, marriage book with uh, Lizzie uh, by Mike Mason. It's called The Mystery of Marriage. And this is him talking on himself during his courtship. He said, a 30-year-old man is like a densely populated city. Nothing can be built without something else being torn down. 
To grow effectively, we must realize that we cannot build before we have properly excavated, like a massive skyscraper at the base going deep. And I think this morning, God wants to do some tearing down and some proper intentional excavation because we need to be built on rock. I'm closing with this hymn. You, you, you know it. I didn't know it was the bloke Edmund Moat wrote it. And it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less. Built on the rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. I'm not employed to worship, man. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness hides his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, I'll met, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless I stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Built on the rock or built on the sand? Rock stands firm. Sand, it fell with a mighty crash. Do you remember that quote? I, I, I love the power of words. And uh, at the end, well, verse 28, when Jesus had finished, he's finished chapters 5 to 7. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. You know, everyone else is saying, you've heard that it was said, but I say. Not what uh, Rabbi Heschel said, or whatever, but I say. So he just had that authority. But the crowds were amazed. And may we have the gift of fresh amazement today. Because what did uh, Eugene Peterson, he, he described the people he was working with. And I'm not saying this is you, but it's a challenge. He said, these spirits who had taken early retirement, whose minds had been checked at the door, suburbia, lobotomized spirituality. That or being amazed afresh, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just, Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. So here's an invitation as we close, to be amazed afresh, to be re-energized in your discipleship, to be stirred, kicked if needed, whatever we need, a fresh sort of, come on, this is worth everything. That's my conviction. The Easter, the Easter hope we've got is my, it's a game changer. There's, there's no, it's, it's good to be depressed if you're just living on your own. I mean, it's logical to be depressed because it's so depressing. But no, we believe in the third day God. And that changes everything. And so the invitation is to be infused afresh this morning with a, with a sense of passion and privilege and urgency and commitment to live fully alive, to live generously, to live ready. To live ready. Why don't you shut your eyes and listen to this? This is Smith Wigglesworth. And he gave this challenge to us. He says, live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. 
Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. I love this picture. Be filled with the Spirit. That is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked that every thread in the fabric of your life will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then, when you are misused and squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the very nature of Christ. Can the worship team come up? We will get misused and squeezed, but if our lives are built on the rock, all that will ooze out of us will be the very nature of Christ. Is your life built on the rock? Resolve today to make sure it is. I'm going to press on in now, just in, in, in sung worship and response. This, to me, is always the most important time. We've sat under the word, hopefully by his spirit. He's brought conviction and challenge and encouragement. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Come, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome. Lord, we don't want to leave the same. We don't want to listen to just another sermon. Lord, we want to meet with you. What are you saying to us? May we have ears to hear.